All right, hey, we've got two scripture readings. One is from the book of Exodus, and then we'll have a gospel reading. Whenever we read from the gospels, we stand together. We stand, uh, A, because it's tradition in the liturgical uh, backgrounds of the faith, but the reason is because symbolically this is a chance for us to do two things. Number one, to rise to greet our king who is speaking to us. Number two, it's a chance to remind ourselves that Jesus is the word. Yes, scripture is the word of God, but ultimately Jesus is the capital W word of God, and Jesus is speaking to us. And so whenever we engage the gospels, we particularly want to pay attention so that we are shaped by the life of Jesus, the word of Jesus. So, Sue, why don't you get us started with the Exodus reading, and, uh, and then Eric is going to do the Luke reading. A reading from Exodus 33. Moses said to God, Look, you tell me, lead this people, but you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well, and you are special to me. If I am so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way, I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. God said, my presence will go with you. I'll see the end I'll see the journey to the end. Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not? How else will we know that we're special, I and your people, among all other people on this planet Earth? God said to Moses, all right. Just as you say, this also I will do, for I know you well, and you are special to me. I know you by name. Moses said, please, let me see your glory. God said, I will make my goodness pass right in front of you. I'll call out the name, God, right before you. The word of the Lord. And now would you join me as you're able and stand for the gospel reading from the book of Luke. A reading from Luke 24. By this time they were nearing Emmaus in the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ, and you may be seated. All right, so we've done our call to worship. We've engaged the call to community. Now we move into part three, which is the call to a living word. We hear that living word both through scripture and then we uh, apply it and we, we wrestle with it. We try to pin it to the ground through the sermon each week, and that's why we take time to do this. Uh, as we ramp up to all saints, we're sitting with that idea, how are we formed? as God's holy people. Last week I shared this core idea of Anglicanism, which is called Lex uh, Orandi, Lex Credendi, 
uh, and that is the law of praying is the law of believing. The idea here is that the way we pray, the way we worship, how we actually gather as a church is important. It shapes us into different kinds of people in any number of directions, right? And so our traditions matter. Uh, it's really important that we are intentional about how we are being shaped, which is why we don't just read any book because it says Christian on it. We don't just engage any podcast because someone claims to be a Christian on it, right? We need to have discerning hearts. How is this shaping me? How is the things coming into me forming me, and what is it forming me to love, and who is it forming me to be? Um, we do a lot of things on Sundays uh, as we gather here together. Uh, but uh, the center of our worship, what is the center of our worship? I want to point us to that in the sermon time this morning. Growing up, I went to uh, a lot of ministry-centric churches, is what I'll call them, like the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry to others with what you were going through, what you brought into the room was really at the heart of those churches. And then later on in life, I went to sermon-centric churches. You know, there'd be like the 20-minute setup, and then the hour and a half a sermon, and then the goodbye, have a good day, and that's it, you know? And, and, and then there's uh, later on in life, I went to music-centric churches, churches that really gathered around the experience of worship through music. And all of these things shape us, and all of these things are important. All of these things are necessary. Uh, there are different types of churches. There are program-driven churches, and there are purpose-driven churches. But from the start, what seemed essential to this community was to be a presence-driven church, to be a church based on loving presence toward one another, loving presence toward God. And, and the presence of God being the essential marker that shapes who we are as people. And, uh, and so that's important to us. When Moses is appealing to God in the passage that Sue led us in, uh, he is just wrestling with this idea. And he essentially says, you know, God, you keep saying that I'm special and you love me. Right? I love the honesty. I, I feel like this is how uh, I want to pray sometimes. Like, God, you keep saying dot, dot, dot. And now, like, let's, let's put your money where your mouth is, God. Uh, and, uh, and he says, I want to see your glory. I want to see your goodness. I want to see your presence for myself. Essentially, God, are you coming with us in this journey of life or not? Are you coming with us or not? This is one of the essentials of the Christian faith, is that we are confessing that God does not stand far off in heaven and observe our lives. God gets into the guts of our life with us. He incarnates into our daily existence, and he's walking with us, forming us, shaping us through the ordinary events of life. And so Moses says, God, are you coming with us? And God responds, my presence will go with you. I will see the journey to the end. What an incredible gift those words are. Like, if we could take seriously those words, I'll see the journey to the end. And so we pray, go with us, and God says, yes, God with you, God with us. Um, and, and, and we're set into this journey of life and this journey of worship as a community through the presence of God. And, and Moses says, I want to see your goodness, your glory pass before me. And, and God says, I will call out the name of God right before you. And so that's the sort of thing that we're trying to engage in when we gather here on Sundays, that God is present to us as we gather here together. And so rather than centering our gatherings around the sermon, rather than centering them around any other thing that we might do, we want to center our gatherings right here around the table. 
because in every part of our worship, God gets in on it. God is present to us. He's present to us as we sing, and he's present to us as we pray. But there is a particular gift of miraculous and mysterious presence that happens as we gather around the meal with Jesus. Jesus has promised to show up there. Jesus is in the habit of showing up there. Everything else is formative and matters, but Jesus, when we break bread, when we gather around his table, he slips in the meal amongst us. It is his signature. It is his calling card. We read over and over, Jesus chooses bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it. And every time he does that, there is this meal of presence that is shared, and it shapes us. We see it in the miraculous catch of the fish. We see it um, on the meal on the beach. We see it at the feeding of the 5,000. We see it at the Last Supper. It's what the disciples found on that Emmaus road that Eric read to us. He's made known to us We recognize Jesus through and in the breaking of the bread, and our hearts burn within us in some sort of new way. And so we're ramping in our gatherings every single week toward the final part of the service, which is the call to the table, toward the Eucharist. That is the crescendo. It is the culmination. If we had to toss out everything, if you said, Jordan, you have five minutes for worship as a community every single week, what would we do? We'd do this. This is the essential piece. We meet Jesus here in a particularly unique sacramental way. And I imagine Jesus just slipping in. It's why it's my favorite part of our service. As as y'all are coming down this aisle and we get to hand you by name the body of Christ for you, the blood of Christ for you, I imagine Jesus gets in the line with us. He joins us. He's, He's the one serving. He's the one saying, this is my body given for you. This is the wedding party where the wine does not run out and in fact it keeps on getting better. This is the the meal where there is bread and fish left over at the end of it. Jesus is with us. He's feasting with us. He's feeding with us. God is with us. And so in America, we have our holiday, our feast holiday is called Thanksgiving, right? And in the sacramental traditions, then when we come to this table, different traditions call it different things. It's communion, it's the Lord's table, it's a big enough table, but it's ultimately the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, right? Our feast is a feast in which we are brought into a deep heartfelt Thanksgiving. A great Thanksgiving is what it's called in the Book of Common Prayer, And so that's as we move toward the the service, our hearts are being opened up toward this great thanksgiving. I want to reflect for a few minutes on what happens here spiritually, theologically, what happens when we come to the table. And the first thing is this, that it's my sense that we are becoming like the meal itself. Our lives are made like the meal. As Jesus chooses bread, Jesus chooses us. As Jesus blesses the bread, Jesus blesses us. We get in on the you are my beloved child whom I love. And then as Jesus breaks the bread, our lives are broken open. The crust of our lives, the the hard parts of our lives are broken open in communion with Jesus. And they're broken open that we might then be given away as meal, as, as food, as a feast for a hungry world that is around us. And so we're not just consuming this feast. This feast is consuming us. It's consuming our lives. We are changed as we engage it. 
So first of all, our lives become like the meal. Second, we find that all of time is caught up in this. We find God in the past, the present, and the future when we come to this table. That all time seems to converge and is captured in God's kingdom. Jesus says, do this in the remembrance of me. And so there is a sense in which when we come to this table, we are being remembered. We're being recollected as the body. And so we say, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. But then we're also looking ahead. We're looking into the great future where just as, you know, crackers, gluten-free crackers that we order off Amazon, we are believing and saying, like, this actually becomes something more. And just as wine that is box wine, it's like not the nicest, you know, Cabernet you've ever had in your life, and yet we're saying it is more than that, right? This grape juice is more than that. In that same way, what we're saying is something more is happening within us. And, and in fact, our lives are going to become more, going to become sacred, going to become holy, saint-like. The meal is a foretaste of a future where lives and relationships and, in fact, all of creation are transformed and will take on new flesh. All things will be made new. And so we say, feed on him in your hearts by faith toward the future, toward, to, toward a future that will be filled with thanksgiving, with Eucharisteo. And so we feed on him. And uh, as Anglicans in the tradition, the idea is not that communion is a mere commemorative event. It's not purely symbolic what happens here. We are believing in our hearts by faith that actually, seriously, mysteriously, Jesus shows up here. Like literally, like Jesus is here. Jesus is here in a meaningful, living way, the actual person and presence of Jesus. God with us, God on the go with us. You know, so often in post-resurrection encounters with Jesus, it's like they don't recognize him, which is fascinating to me. They've, they've spent years with Jesus, but now they don't see him until they share the meal with him. And then it, there's something that happens. They, they recognize him, and I think there's something to that for us. And so you might say, well, how does that work? How does, how does how do gra- uh, crackers and grape juice and wine become the actual presence of the living Jesus? What I love about Anglicanism is we get to go, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know, right? Like there are traditions that have tried various ways of, of trying to figure this out and putting language around it and how do the molecules change and that's all well and good but like I love that we get to just enter into something that says, a, a miracle happens here, but it's a mysterious one. And we don't need to know any more than that. We just get to get in on it rather than understand it. And so Jesus is here. We leave the how of it to God. So what I want to do is just walk through the final part of our service together, and then we'll actually come to this table. We're going to walk through it step by step. Now, the sermon exists to point us to Jesus, to the word and how we might put on his new life. And yet, to put on Jesus requires putting off ways of our old life. There are ways that are, uh, you know, deeply grooved in my life, and I have to unlearn them. I have to uh, repent of them, metanoia, turn from those ways, and turn to a new way if I'm going to put on the way of Jesus. And so, we begin with confession. 
if we're going to come to this table, we start by recognizing there are many ways that I have participated in the way of sin and death, even this week, even in benign, seemingly benign ways. I've participated in something that is further fracturing the world, and I'm invited to return home. And so we make a turn at confession. What we're not saying is that we're miserable creatures. What we're not saying is that we're depraved to our core. No, no, no. Like we, we take these jumps sometimes. Sometimes we've been taught these jumps that are not there in Scripture. Jesus calls us beloved children. And also he says, oh, there is a diagnosis of sin at the root of your life that wants to fracture your life. And so we confess that. We turn away from that. We confess that we've missed the mark, that we have disordered our affections in thought and word and deed, but we also confess something more than sin. We confess that there's a reality greater than sin, which is God. And so we're bringing that confession as if to say, let's put this in conversation with the larger reality, which is the reality of God who is rich in mercy and eager to forgive, and that our sin does not have the final word on our lives. And something is healed as we confess it. We confess it to Jesus. We confess it to one another in the presence of safe relationships where we can look bad in the presence of love. And we're formed as we confess. And so I'll, we're going to pause here for a minute. We're going to engage this confession together. Um, I'm going to invite you just, you can stay seated. But I'm going to invite you to join me. And go ahead and just look inward in your own heart for a moment. and bring to God whatever comes up. And now join me, let's say these words on the screen together as we confess our sins against God and neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us, lead us home into the Father's house of love, restore us on right footing for this journey. You are forgiven, you are loved. Amen. Amen. And so we call that the assurance. We are assured, not by Jordan, who has no way to assure us, but by Jesus who assures us, come to me, come to me, and you will find forgiveness as you confess. And then after confession and assurance, we pass the peace. We say the peace of Christ be with you, right? And uh, this comes after we've already done six good minutes, right? So uh, what's up with the second greeting? The first time I ever went to an Anglican church, they did passing of the peace, and I thought the service was over, and then they restarted again. I was like, what is happening? I keep thinking we're done. There's more and more to this thing. Why? And it's because passing the peace is different than three good minutes. That is our time for handshakes, for hugs, for connection. Passing the peace is our time to say, the peace that I have received from Jesus through confession and assurance, I now give to you. Freely I have given, free, or freely I have received, now I will freely give, right? 
And we're saying, actually, that we are not ready to come to this table until we have reconciled with one another. There is deep, spiritual, theological, relational, communal work that happens in passing the peace. It may not happen in that moment, but what it reminds us every single week is, until I am at unity, a common union with my brothers and sisters, I'm not ready for this common union. And so Jesus says, if you're coming to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. Make things right with them first. Then you're ready for this worship. Then you're ready for this feast. And so Jesus gives us peace. He says, my peace I give you, and then we pass that peace to others. And so passing the peace comes before the liturgical uh, communion Uh, service begins and we name the wounds we heal relationships are mended forgiveness is humbly asked this is a form of worship it's not mere formality and then we move to the communion liturgy i'm going to go through it here quickly and then we'll actually do the whole thing as we come to this table to end our time together it begins with what's called the sursum corda which is in latin hearts lifted the lord be with you and also with you, right? Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Hearts lifted up into the the encounter with Jesus who is always descending to us, always rising us up into the heavenlies. Jesus meets us there, and it's because the presence of God is with us that we start by saying, the Lord be with you, right? And so we're lifted up into the kingdom, and then there are those familiar words of institution. On the night that he, broke, that he was betrayed, Jesus chose bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And it com- we come to the, uh, what's called the epiclesis, which means invocation uh, in Greek. And this is the moment where uh, a priest or a bishop will pray these words, Jesus, in your goodness and mercy, would you send the Holy Spirit down on the simple bread and wine in front of us? Make them to be for us the sacrament of the body and blood. Of Jesus. And the idea here is that just as the Spirit came at Jesus' baptism to bless him, there's like a micro-Pentecost that happens here. The Spirit comes down and in a meaningful way shows up amongst us. And so then we say, is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? The Spirit is. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are God's people. We are redeemed. And we do this sign of the cross here, and if you're not familiar with the Anglican tradition, uh, it typically just, uh, at first for maybe months or so, feels like everyone's moving their hands very quickly. What do I do with my hands <laughs> to join in this? Right? And it's quite simply like, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're just marking the cross on our bodies. This has become deeply meaningful for me. Usually when I don't have words to pray for my kids, I'll just mark the sign of the cross on their forehead as a way of saying, Jesus be with you. I don't have the words for what is needed, but Jesus is with you. It pulls us into that cruciform shape of the cross, which is how we are to live because it is how Jesus lives in the world. The tensions of, of all that we cannot reconcile, but we're called to show up as suffering love to the world. And then the mystery of faith, those words that were written on our first building, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And then we say the invitation, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. It's finally time to dine, we are invited. Various traditions have various ways of what's called fencing the table, which is to say who's allowed to come, who's allowed to participate in this meal. And I think it is important that we remember this is worship of the highest order right? We don't just casually show up to this. 
there is a form of honoring what is happening here. We honor Christ as our king and as the, the master of the feast. And so this is worship, so it should be done by worshipers. And at the same time, my sense is Jesus is so comfortable with this table. I love when our kids come up to this table and they don't understand what it all means, but they're getting formed by it. Jesus is getting into them. So it's honoring. It doesn't need to be stuffy. And what I love is the closing words of Scripture in which the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, which is the church, what's the invitation? Come. Let anyone who's thirsty come. Let anyone who desires participate in this. Right? And so that's our invitation. If you want more of this feast, come not because you have enough faith but because christ has enough food not because you understand but because you are understood christ our passover lamb is sacrificed for us and therefore let us keep the feast we come forward we hold out our hands it's the anti-genesis 3 where we want to take with our lives instead we receive and the body of Christ is placed into our hands. This is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. We receive it with glad hearts, and we're filled with a great thanksgiving, a Eucharist tale.